Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome back to That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I'm joined by Damien Devani. Damien has worked across some incredible global brands, Bailey's, Guinness, Coca-Cola, O2, Smurfa Kappa. He's the founder of D Squared and also senior partner and regional president with TBV Global. Outside of these roles, Damien is a fellow with the Marketing Institute of Ireland and past chair. He's been chair of the commercial and marketing committees for both Connacht Rugby and the Irish Rugby Football Union. And he's currently chair of the judges for the FE Awards Ireland. So as I'm sure you can imagine, we have a lot to cover and we do. We talk about teams, finding the right people and right environments with the collective skills to succeed. We chat about the importance of insight and strategy and patterns of recognition that lead to success. And how all of this leads to marketing being a transformative function for a business. Damien shares wonderful examples of how this has happened for him and tips for how you can move marketing out of just being a function to being a business transformer. Damien, thanks a million for joining me. Um, that's what I call marketing podcast. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. I, I did kind of a bit of an intro and you've, you've had an amazing career. Uh, you're still having an amazing career. I'd love to just kind of touch on some of the, the cliff notes because I think we could spend an hour talking about some of the highlights, but uh, some of the kind of the, the cliff notes of your, your career and where you've been. I suppose I, I, I went to a college in UL and uh, I did a European studies and then a postgrad in, in business. And I came to Dublin and got into the Irish Trade Board. They had a thing called the Marketplace Program where they play students with manufacturing companies and I sort of went from one or two or three jobs at the start. You know, when you're just trying to get land something that makes sense to you. Yeah. you know? And uh, um, I, I'd always been drawn to marketing because I thought it was that great mix of business and creativity. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I really cut my teeth with um, Jaymont. Um, they're called Georgia Pacific now. And it was okay. like sort of the hard knocks of, of, of FMCG. Um, and I was there for a number of years on Kittensoft and Inversoft. And I remember I was at a, a meeting with, uh, I think it was Tesco. And I was watching how the buyer in Tesco had absolute and total control of the meeting, this discussion, the margin, everything. And I thought to myself, I, I, need, to, I need to go where brands are king. This, right. there's, there's, there's no leverage here. There's no, uh, you're, you're under the cosh. And um, uh, I went into uh, Gilby's. Yeah, of Ireland uh, to, to for one of their most junior positions, and I, I luckily got the job with the uh, brilliant Michael Hayes, and he gave me my break uh, because Gilby's are where they love brands, they right. Smirnoff and Bailey's, and um, uh, and from there, you know, uh, that sort of gave me that ability to learn from people. Because I think the biggest thing is to learn from people. Right. Um, Marketing is funny in that people leave college with some sort of education. And then they go and manage brands without doing the practitioner piece under the guidance of, of, of senior people. Yeah. Uh, so if you do law, you have to do your practice before you can represent somebody in court. And I think, you know, uh, the biggest thing is, is, is aligning your, or working for people who you learn from yeah. uh, and have standards. And uh, uh, starting off with, uh, really starting off with Hayes was fantastic. He was, he was an incredible uh, leader of that team. I, I think the biggest Fork in the road. Connor came uh, two or three years later in Gilby's, where we were managing brands and Malibu and uh, Archers, and and then I got the job of Bailey's. Okay. And I decided to do something different. Um, I decided that it was grown at four percent; it was profitable, and I I always felt it had higher potential in this country. I think people love the brand. And I sort of sat down one day and said, what could this be? And um, I thought, this is a brand that everybody wants to work on. And I think we could relook at the strategy and really do something special. So I, I handpicked, not agencies, I handpicked individuals from around town. Okay. Right. Who I thought were the best for this job. And I handpicked or recruited people internally that normally wouldn't like from sales and from finance normally wouldn't be sort of focused too much on Bailey's because they were had their own jobs. And we formed a thing called the Fast Track Team. Okay. And it was the first time after all these years, can you imagine over those years, that I really understood consumer strategy. It was the first time to really, really get to the nub of the fact that Bailey's had been on, I think, the, the strategy wasn't the optimal one. It was recruitment plus, you could call it. 
Right. And we identified a new strategy, which was consumption frequency, but we understood why it was consumption frequency. And it was before the famous dweeb, but we understood what were the barriers and drivers to consumption frequency. Um, and then we did something that was never done before there, which was if your strategy is right and the brand's right and your team are right, we spent a lot of time forming the team and we took high performance models from the brilliant Emerge. Uh, she's left us now, but Anime Driscoll, God rest her, was an amazing, amazing uh, um, influence on all of us in Gilby's around leadership and high performance teams. And we structured that team to identify what was the objective, what was the strategy, what was the benefit for success for each individual in the team, okay. not just our companies, but them. And how were we going to do something exceptional together? And that raised the standard of what we were expecting of each other. Now, this took a number of months and my bosses were going, what are you, what's your man doing? You know, like, can you just get on and get on with it? But I instinctively knew you know, that this was an opportunity to spend more time on that strategy development and vision piece. Um, and when we were right, I, I went to present it to, to the board of uh, Diageo Europe at the time. And I said, look, give me an extra million euro and I give you back in one year. And with the extra market share, yeah. equity, et cetera. And they jumped at, they jumped at it and they said, well, this fella's mad. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, because, but, but I, I didn't feel, I didn't, I didn't feel so much that we were on thin ice. I just felt the pressure to do it and do it well. And we did it. Um, so we put in a plan that was off the charts in terms of a huge execution against very clear drivers, all happening simultaneously. So you're putting all your ships on black and right. we went from four to 25% growth. Um, and, and, and that, that should have changed your career because once you're like yeah. an elastic band, aren't you? Once you stretch, you never really go back to the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your expectations remarkable. are different. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and people see an opportunity to maybe give you a shot at different things. So, so along your career, not always, but sometimes there are opportunities to stretch. And when you do that, working with the right people, you know you can trust um, on the clear strategy. Then my view is always go big. You know, don't go, don't be a gardener. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I don't mean risky and I don't mean being irresponsible. But if the opportunity is there, why, why go at 4%? Why yeah. move from 4 to 7 when you get, can't get a 25? Um, and it makes it more enjoyable, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, along the way, you know, that was a that was a big change in my career. And from there, I, I went to uh, um, uh, I went to air for a year. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I knew five minutes walking in the door it was the wrong decision. Uh, it really was. I knew literally the the moment I walked in the door. Uh, the only benefit of air, I, I had met some really cool people, really right. sound people who I still I like. And, uh, and and the best was, I met Brendan Evan, who was, who was my boss at the time. And we only stayed a year working together. But he's he's a buddy now, and he's, he's right. a fantastic, fantastic guy. Um, anyway, I ended up going to Diageo within a year. Right. And that's where we were all, we were all trained on Dweeb. And that was, the, that was actually moving into a different realm of understanding brand building. Yes. Understand the marketing. And it was done in such a courageous fashion by Diageo. Because people who are listening may not know Dweeb. Just, what, again, what does Dweeb yeah. stand for and what was it? Yeah. Just so. <laughs> this comes full circle, actually, yeah. because <laughs> I'm now working with the, with the actual author of Dweeb. Is my okay. colleague. No way. Right? The actual author, not the person that was in the room at the time, but the guy. Uh, so Diageo, in fairness, wanted to have a brand building methodology that was consistent around the globe and took personalities and brilliant salesmanship out of the scenario and gave a, a, a clear way of, of understanding what's the best opportunity to drive equity and commercial gain. Um, they got a small team, but now my, my colleague, to go around and talk to the different companies around the world, P&G, Coca-Cola, et cetera, et cetera. They found that at Harvard universities, they found that nobody had the end-to-end -end system. Right. So Diageo built their first end-to-end -end system. Maybe not the first. You know, there might be others. I'm not saying it's the first. But they do did build an end-to-end -end system, which allowed you to understand how to manage your brand and how to go to market. And okay. that was called the Diageo way of brand building. I think their big decision was to train everybody, not just the marketing team. I think the top 
10% or 20% in the first year all over the world. Okay. And that was huge cost. And it was intensive training. Um, but what it did was it step changed. I think Paul Walsh was CEO at the time, and the sweet spot was M&A and organic growth right. globally. So he was doing M&A with whiskeys in the Asia, but this was to drive organic growth. And sure enough, organic growth followed the dweeb um, um, development. So that was uh, not everybody. If you look at that time, you look at Paul Kelly in Fudge Ireland, you look at Tommy Kinsley, you look at Cheryl Walsh in yeah. Heineken, you look at uh, um, so many people who were trained, Johnny Cal over in uh, Heineken, or so many people were trained in Dweeb, went on to drive uh, significant careers. And Dweeb was a definite clarification of what good looks like. You know? Right. Okay. So kind of could put a bit of structure and process to things that were f- like forming in terms of, you know, exactly. Because exactly. as you talked about for Bailey's, you instinctively knew. Exactly. Going, okay. And most of us did in fact, because there was no one way really before then, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then I, I moved to Coca-Cola as marketing director and th- that was bringing the clarity and confidence of Dweeb into a scenario where you had a brilliant team the portfolio was down by minus four. And because we brought in the Dweeb piece, but also brought in IMC, in Integrated Marketing Campaigns. But we did yeah. that in a new way. We did it with a twist that worked. And that twist um, meant we brought the portfolio back to growth within 16 months across the portfolio. Right. Um, and then I went from there to O2. And it was a different challenge. Um, faster, a brilliant team. We gradually built a team that I was really most proud of. Right. Okay. Um, you had fantastic. I mean, the communications team were Johnny Cal, Paul Dervin, Ian McCarthy, yeah. you know, Joanne Donnellan, uh, uh, like it was just off the charts. Yeah. But then you had Alan Fox, uh, yes. Anthony O'Neill, Gary Disley, Anne-Marie McKee, you know, insights, genius. Yeah. Um, uh, Anthony driving all the data, Alan Fox positioning and propositions. The team as a whole were so good. Um, Neve Kearney, Mario O'Dowd, Lorraine McGrath, I can't, it, it, looking back, it was, it was an amazing time. But what we did was, they were, we, it took a year to build the team and recognized that they were missing the core um, catalyst for growth, which was, in my mind, it's always a, a deep confidence of insight generation. Okay. Because if you don't understand that and don't have a collective standard in a team, you're never asking, you never get into the proper why. And I don't just mean on brand positioning, I mean on anything. You know, where are we going to put that furniture? <laughs> but what's the issue? Why? You know, everything becomes a slightly more uh, stronger level of interrogation, which means you're spending money in the right way and you're questioning opportunities in the right way. So we trained the whole team, whole 80 people in, 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 in insight. Okay. You know, my, my, I'm Janita Gray, my boss at the time, so actually fair play to her. She supported that. She said, we need to get our team to hear and we stood up and went, we're number two in the industry. Um, in the next two years, we're going to be number one in the country. Not in the industry, but in the country. As, a, I could marketing, see one or, as a marketing yeah, team. Yeah, right. yeah. And I could see one or two people looking on cynically and they, they, they surprisingly left. <laughs> I was going to say, they hung around. <laughs> I don't know what happened. They just left. <laughs> uh, but we, and that means we recruited talent, right? Yeah. Real, really talent. And we built that team and two staff, I think it was, I think it was Neve Kearney and, and Lorraine, or it might have been Maria Dowd. We had proposition, brilliant proposition managers, right? Young in their career, and they were trained on, 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 on insights. And they looked at the market, the tele, telecom market, and particularly the post-pay market. Right. You know, that's contract. Yeah. And we were number two in contract. And Vodafone were number one. They had much more money and they were bigger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, professionals had looked at that same market for the 10 years previous and looked at it the same way, which was you spend 90% of your money on prepay, get them in the door and keep them. And you spend 10% of your money on that complicated post-pay thing. Cause it's all about contracts and there's only 30,000 people available every month. And that was it, right? We trained the whole team on insights and these two f- really strong, high potential colleagues, they looked at it and they went, ask why, why, why? And they came up with a f- an insight that nobody'd seen in the whole industry, not just in O2, yeah. everywhere, which changed the telco industry. And they realized that the target market, the opportunity wasn't the 30,000 people coming out of contract every month. 
the target market was 400,000 people that were in pay-as-you-go, but had got to a life stage where they should be moving to post-pay, but they weren't because they were afraid of losing control. Right. So you had to then take that and move. How would you change the behavior? But then you had a scalable target, 400,000 people. So we looked around and we said, well, let's get, and we launched O2 Clear, which was a good price point, but we were the first to bring in a one-month contract, which meant you weren't, you weren't tied to it. And we had um, text alerts. Yeah. So if Connor said, my budget's 20 euro a month, at 15 euro, 19 euro, we send you alert going, you get into it. I and that showed that, that you were, we were thinking about it. We got to number one in the, in the marketplace for the first time. And, you know, the comms team... Johnny and Paul, Emer, the guys produce brilliant ads. Uh, but the proposition team, and specifically two, two, two people in a room with a flip chart and, and a mindset, yeah? Because everybody else followed suit. And that changed post-pay as we, were, as, as we understand it and how it was marketed to us. So, so I have a big belief in, 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 in putting in some key um, collective skills. No point in having two or three people good at insights. You need to have people challenge each other and confident to say, why, why, why? Is that the real issue across yes. a team? Yeah. How do, you, how do you create that culture? Because that is a hard thing to create because people feel, um, you know, oh, this is my area. I'm, I'm the expert, in, you know, in this area. So why are you challenging me? Like, that's a very trusting environment to have people being able to say, well, what about this? Or, you know, challenging it. Yeah, um, I, I think it starts off with, and it sounds like uh, it starts off with vision. Okay, you know, it reminds me of Pat Lamb uh, when I went down to kind of rugby. Pat Lamb was our, was the coach who we won the Pro, Pro Fourteen with, and he, everything was about vision. Um, we, we had a vision to become the best marketing team in the country, not the best marketing team in the industry, and we knew that for that we need to have good talent. We needed to have really good people, like the All Blacks, you know. Yeah, good people make good all blacks, and we we recognise that there are one or two things that we needed to be collectively good at to beat the competition who had more money and they were bigger. But that didn't take away the respect. I mean, I think uh, one of the best uh, recruits there was bringing in Anne Marie McKay. You know, she, um, she's she's exceptional at insights. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is that she could have a conversation across the marketing department. And Anthony O'Neill could have a conversation where everybody understood the language. Right. You know, yeah. and everybody understood. See, you don't come up with many, many insights. But what you do when you train everybody is you become very, very collectively strong at identifying the issue. Because most problems are misdiagnosed issues, right? Right. You know, people jump into action quick, ready, aim, fire, but not going, hold on a second, what's really going on? Um. And sometimes you get an insight, but you always at least clarify what the issue is. Yeah. Um, um, and after, when, when I left, I left O2 because I wanted to, O2 set myself and a few people on a leadership course in Madrid. Right. With a genius called Brian Bacon, one of these like, most, he was about 70 at the time. He's an Australian guy. He had lived a life that is worth living, you know, like really impressive man. And he, he, had, he had all this in a room and he had a, a week-long intensive personal leadership course where at the end of it you have to ask, am I married to the right person? Do I live in the right place? You're like really fundamental. Okay. It, was, it was as intense. I, I couldn't believe they actually uh, offered this course. And uh, so I said, thankfully, yes, I am. But I wanted to move to Sligo. And bring right. kids, we wanted to bring our kids up there. So I moved over to Sligo and the plan was to take three months off because as the eldest son, I... I had never taken a year off. I'd never done any of that sort of stuff. So it takes three months off. That turned into two, two and a half years. Okay. Um, I started a consultancy, uh, which, which was, uh, you worked with great people. And I loved for a while just doing the consultancy piece back then because yeah. you could, and it was always the opposite to the big consultancies. I'm going to go in very quickly and get out quickly and give you experience. I'm not trying to sell you a system. Right. And it worked in the recession. But in that period of time, I decided consciously to get involved in things that I could use my marketing skills in things I cared about. So uh, about 12 of our contemporaries got together in the middle of the recession to say, you know, how do we react to this locally? And we developed a small team and we said, 
let's try and create a sense of collaboration and let's do it through tourism. And we became a team that drove tourism. And every year we had national campaigns okay. and it became quite successful. And we eventually we became very successful. Uh, and that was a rewarding thing. And I also got involved with six other people. We were given the task by the IRFU to transform Connaught Rugby from a great club, but hadn't won anything, yes. yeah. into a really, really good culture on and off the pitch. Yeah. And when you have to apply the skills you learn in corporate land into the reality of life, that gives you a really strong understanding of culture, incredibly so, much more powerful than just the corporate thing by itself. So when... And I wasn't going to go back to corporate land until I found somebody I, I wanted to work with. Okay. Um, and I eventually, I would have never have guessed, uh, through a, s- a series of really serendipitous events, I ended up uh, meeting Gary McGann from Smurfer Kappa. Okay. Uh, one of the best companies I've ever seen and um, an incredible leader. And uh, that's where I was able to merge the corporate experience in marketing with the cultural experience of of engaging with with um, um, initiatives right. that were about life. Um, because together and with an, a really good team at Smurfit, we embarked on a journey which was it started off with. We've got a tagline. Can you tell us how to implement it? Okay. And I said, really? I said, where'd you get the tagline? He said, oh, no, no, we've got some really bright people with PhDs and they got them into a room and, and, and they got yeah. this tagline. So we just want to implement it. And I went, okay, great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I rang him. He was in Colombia. <laughs> Gary was in Colombia. I said, listen, I, I can't do the job because I <laughs> one day a week uh, to maintain some of my current clients uh, or two days a week. And also the tagline's not going to work. So you need to stop it because if you go ahead with this, it, uh, you won't get a chance again to relaunch. Right. And, uh, but two weeks later we met and we said, and he said, no, no, you work one day a week doing your own thing and four with us. And we embarked, we embarked on a plan, which I eventually joined them full time. Yeah. Um, to investigate how to reposition that organization as a company. Right. Not as a brand. And that was thankfully really successful and the most rewarding thing of my career, but that was because of the mix of marketing and cultural change. Yes. Yeah. And that, and then finally, I, I, I left there in 19 because the transformation had happened uh, and I still have a good relationship with Smurf Kappa. And uh, I wanted to do my own consultancy for a while. And I, f- by luck, Connor, just pure luck, I talked to Tommy, Tommy Kinsella when I was transitioning, uh, who I have a lot of time for. And um, he said, no, I said, the, the job he's done in AIB has been fantastic. Yeah, you know, like, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. Phenomenal. He worked with you know, Patrick Hickey and, and he said, look, we only work with the best. We had Rothko come in and we, have, uh, we had to rebuild our brand management system. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, we brought in the, the, the best is TBV. They're based in Boston. Who are they? Well, that's Brian Crean and, and, and Andy Gibson and the team. They're the guys who started. Well, uh, Brian did Dweeb and Andy is just a, a phenomenon of marketing expertise and, uh, and, and all their teams. Um, so I rang, rang Brian two calls later, we were working together. Okay. <laughs> like it just, it just happened. And, right. uh, Brian is, Brian is in, in my experience, the, the most learned brand practitioner or brand, um, um, framework, uh, designer. Like it's, is at a different level. And Andy has, you know, been CMO of Grey Goose, Bacardi, Walgreens Bit Alliance. Right. He, he just he just oozes how to make brands work. Um, and sometimes people think brands are for brand managers and for middle management. Yes. And fundamentally, that's that's wrong. The brand is the most one of the most strategic levers a CEO can manage. Yeah. Because it's the only thing that connects everybody internally and externally to create alignment. And yes. this, now when I, with D-squared, my, my own consultancy, I work with CEOs and C-suite. And when, you, when I talk to CEOs, do they want to be managing KPIs on all their various departments? No. That's not what they want. That's what they have to do. They want to develop, you know, manage the, the, the pension meeting one minute and then they're into the health and safety next minute. All vital things. What they want is success. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we forget the fact that all of these things are leading up to something. Yes. And if you have that conversation, 
how do we create success? Then what you're really, one of the most important things is create alignment internally. Because once you have alignment, and that's connected to the authentic alignment externally, which gets to marketing and branding, then you have a much better chance of creating success because the biggest issue I see is misalignment yeah, or uh, internally and poor positioning and poor uh, differentiation externally. Um, and that's why that conversation is really fruitful when you have it with CEOs who, 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 who have the ears to listen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's kind of that, like, as you're talking there, it, it almost seems there's a few patterns of success that you've seen through the work you've done in terms of, you know, finding leaders that you believe, believe this and, and want to see the brand and, and the marketing team be successful. Oh, but also the team, I, I, you know, picking up on the way you think about the team and think about the importance of like your example in Bailey's going back and really handpicking, not an agency, but it's that person in the agency that I want to work with and how that team comes together, just becoming really important to creating that great culture and that success. But, uh, you know, there are, it, well, I, in my experience, there are patterns of success. And, and as you get a, a bit older, you start to just also have pattern recognition. Right. So I could, you go into a room and you hear something, and, and, li- and it's not been arrogant, it's not, it's not an ego thing. You have a responsibility, particularly if you're in service or something. You can just get quickly to, this is, where, this is going to go bad, or this is going to go good. Or you can see, I've seen this before, this is the pattern here. Now, I don't mean to be sm- close-minded, it's just... Patterns of recognition happens if you if you work hard at something and you care for it and you see things happening. Uh, you have to be able to sense check yourself. One of them is leadership. I can't stress the power of a leader. In their, you know, the, the the shadow of the leader is long and deep. Yeah, it's not what they say; it's how they act. You know, and and I, I've checked myself over the years to, you know, try and, and and do things that I know are right, and then try and minimize the things that that. I know are, are not good leadership traits, you know? Um, and, and when you're working for somebody or you're working in a team, I'd always look, where is the leader at? What's their vision? Right. How do they want to perform? Not their targets. How do they want to perform in achieving their targets? And I've been lucky to, to work with people like, you know, uh, Jim Clerken back in the day, Tony Smurfett, and, you know, been around Gary McGann was like watching what, what good looks like. You know what I mean? Right. And, okay. And do you mean the behaviors as well as everything? Is it the behavior and... Yeah. 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 It's, it's the day. I, I find um, we have this view that leadership is, is a sort of dramatic thing that happens in public. It's on the stage giving the speech. Yes. And, you know, that's not... That's the, it's the opposite. Leadership is the conversation in a room one-to-one. It's what the other person... It's how you turn up. It's how you, the decisions you make and the other, other person picks up why you're making that decision. Right. They, and then they feel either a sense of loyalty or a sense of uh, um, uh, protected or a sense of here's the path or a sense of that's the direction to go to. Um, somebody has your back. Um, um, and sometimes it's, 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 you know, it's clear um, objective challenge. Yes. You know, yeah. that's wrong. Don't do, you know, yeah. uh, clarity, like clarity you, and yeah. consistency. Yeah. Um, and then there's alignment. I think alignment is, is one of the biggest uh, flaws in companies. People are misaligned and um, that, and then there's a subsection of that called, you know, clarity of strategy. Um, I think timing is important, Connor. As you okay. get older, timing is so important. Just been aware of timing of things when things happen. When to launch? When to hold back? When to have that meeting? I, and the the more I get into these this career, you realize it's one of the most underappreciated and important um, elements is time. Okay, because it changes everything. Things are different tomorrow than they are today, and uh, been aware of how time fits is I think is uh, more important. Creativity, and I don't just mean ads, although um, creativity uh, is. And respecting the creative process and respecting creatives. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, really respecting creatives is something I, I, uh, 
I really uh, think is important because they do something that is, it's not a, it's not a machine. They have to do something that's, that's a, a bringing something into the world that's different. And yeah. Yeah. how you brief creatives, how you feedback um, on their initial uh, ideas, if you have to give feedback, how you do all that, the relationship you build is really important, I think. And the outputs are fantastic. Like when we were doing Smurfit, you know, um, uh, like an awful lot of the success comes down to the one-to-one relationships with Kay McCarthy and Insights and Kieran Aguera on design. Right. Um, and then uh, Damien Hanley on advertising. You know, like these are individuals and you you have to engage and build that story together. Yes, yes. The outputs yes. become significant. They change companies, right? I mean, the brand of Smurfit went up by 220 million in terms of value um, after, oh, well, during the process of Open the Future. Um, but an awful lot of that came down to sparking people's imagination and then using that spark that we had called Open the Future to work with our innovation colleagues to create new innovations, yeah. to launch new innovation laboratories, to engage our HR colleagues to, to, to open up our, our high-performance program, even health and safety, to bring in value selling so our sales force could then apply the strategy about you know, added value, not commodity. So the, the idea cracked by a few individuals can then impact so many aspects of a company. And then you're driving a company, not a marketing department, or you're not driving it, but you're enabling and it, yes. alignment um, across an organization that affects many, many different aspects. And the output is that you start to look different to your customers. Yeah. It, it, but, it's really interesting to think about marketing as having the ability to transform business like that is a that, that's kind of a seismic shift i think in lots of ways for companies to to see or even marketeers to think about themselves that's that's the only way i look at it at the moment um sometimes it's it, it, it can't happen but invariably that's what you're you're de- there to do um and uh, you know you, there's a there's a number of core uh, my colleagues um brian crean and andy gibson are really clear on this. And, you know, and also people like Mark Ritson, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't, we, we'd be very aligned with that sort of thing. There's just some things that are important, understanding targeting, understanding positioning, um, internal engagement, the creative process, um, and then going big, not going small, go big. Yeah. And, and when you have all those um, and you apply them to a leadership team in a business with leadership uh, in terms of CEO on C-suite, why would you keep it in the marketing department? Yeah. Why would, yeah. You, why would you just keep it good communications? Because that doesn't affect the business. It just affects your communications, which can be in itself good. But in a business-to-business world, you have to have the sales guy walking in, having a story going, this is why we're changing. And the customer says, well, what's in it for me? Well, here's our new innovation. Here's our new network of uh, innovation labs that you can test things out. Um, so you bring benefits to them. Otherwise, it's just comms, right? Yeah. And back to insight, if you have a great idea, you can then work with your colleagues across the organization because they got the skills to unlock what they're doing aligned to the new positioning, yeah. which affects yeah. products, it affects services, it affects innovation, and then it affects like HR um, and and how the company uh, develops. So it, it's it's... It's the salt in the soup, really. Yeah. Um, and m- more and more, I, 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 tr- I try to work with uh, leadership teams who want that uh, unlocking of an aligned, um, connecting idea that makes them look different from the competition, attracts talent, and impacts performance, either margin or volume. Yeah. yeah. Or... Or sometimes, you know, there could be other levels of performance. Um, but that's why it's, 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 um, it's so much more powerful than the, the slide, you know, the, the derogatory comments you hear sometimes about the crayon department. And yes, exactly. That's just, it's, just, it's just not true. And I, I, I no longer worry. Like, it's just not true. It's like saying gravity doesn't work. You know, <laughs> you, know you either benefit from it or, you, or you're, you're missing out in, yeah. in many circumstances. Not at all, but in many. Yeah, and, it, and it, as you kind of said, it goes back to that 
leadership, having leaders that see the value of that potential transformation and not just saying, you know, I want my team, you know, the marketing team to create the new ad or the new brand positioning or update the website or whatever those things are that are kind of, you know, poor uses of what can be truly transformational for an organization. Uh, true. Um, um, I suppose it, what you do is you, 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 tr- you get trained and you work with, with people who, who train you and help you evolve and agencies who help you evolve and colleagues outside, uh, like brilliant CFOs, uh, you know, Ken Bowles, Eugene Mitchell, who help and cha- change your perspective. Um, but then you just apply it to, first it's a brand, then it's a portfolio, then it's a company, then it's an international company, then it's a sports company. You know, the application get, may get, gets bigger as you go on, um, but it's the, it's the same fundamental series of skills you're bringing to it. Yeah. Um, just the, 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 the canvas changes. How does a, you know, take somebody in their marketing career, whether they're starting or, or on, on the journey, how do they I, try identify those people that are, that, are, that are good and great? You know, because you can be in an organization and kind of think, you know, believe or have a belief that somebody that you're working with is phenomenal. Like what, what are the signals that you're actually going to go, I know this person is, is great and is going to help bring me along? Because you can, you can end up being somewhere in the wrong place for too long. Yeah, um, um, it's it, that's a hard one to identify because every everything's every situation is different. Yeah. But al- along the way, I think um, I think if you care about what you're doing and you show passion and a responsibility to make things better, you're not clocking. Well, nobody, you know, you know. Obviously, we're not clocking in and clocking out. But you're 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 trying to build relationships to make things better. And, and, and an underlying philosophy I have is win-win. And, and I like having win-win. I have no yeah. time for this win-lose stuff. I just, and it happens, but I have no time for it. Just time, life's too short. People pick up on that. And you right. are attracted to people who have, maybe they're a bit generous in how they might describe managing a P&L or a balance sheet, or they're generous in how they think about innovation. And they're curious about what you're bringing to the party. So, if people have passion and, and they're trying to introduce new ideas, you, people, other uh, experts or other, other um, professionals gravitate towards that and you build relationships. Um, and that just happens organically all the yeah. time in different ways, you know? But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a tricky one. And I think, you know, yeah, you, I think gravitating is actually an interesting one. Like I've, I've been lucky as well that I've, got to work with some great people and, and you you are drawn. So maybe that's the the signal. You touched on Smurfer Kappa and I think it's really interesting. One, you, you know, you've obviously worked with some credible, what we consider B2C brands and, and then into B2B. B2B, let's call a spade a spade, is probably seen as, you know, the less attractive path for a marketeer. You probably have a, a different view on that. Totally. Totally. Uh, not because I, tr- I, tr- I wanted to. I just um, it was serendipitous. Just meeting these yeah. individuals, uh, and then because I was involved in Connacht Rugby and that transformation uh, to where it is now. I mean, it's a, it's such a well-run organisation now, um, and with the IRFU and meeting meeting uh, individuals that are really good, like Joe Schmidt and uh, working with people in the IRFU as well. Actually, Borg Power and the guys who do an amazing job at driving commercial gain yeah. year in, year out, you start to realize the power of culture. Uh, when I saw Smurf at Kappa, I, I went on a sort of three-month, um, it was three-month um, sort of uh, uh, phase of meeting as many people as possible all over the world. I came back and I made a presentation saying, we're shining a diamond here. This culture is off the charts. Right. It's aligned. It's focused on expertise, excellence, constant, relentless improvement. Um uh, it's it, it, you could feel it. There was a certain way, you know, uh, and they were brilliant at packaging, but also supply chain and helping uh, and environmentally sustainability. They were incredible over the years. And what they were missing was that ability to present themselves authentically to their customers in a way that was different than the competition. Right. Because the strategy was to move from being perceived as a commodity to an added value and get paid for it. And, uh, um, in business to business, what happens is there isn't as much competition, Connor, as in business to consumer. Right. So if you do 
the, the, the job properly, you really stand out from the competition. Number one. Number two, if you like culture and you find a company that you want to work with and that culture is brilliant at doing something, but they miss how to frame that, then the results and the rewards are phenomenal compared to B2C. Like when we unlocked Open the Future and made that decision to go big, let's affect everything. Right. Uh, it was the only time I was at one of those big sort of post sales conference, post uh, annual conference dinners. It might be 800 people in a room. And twice, two partners came up and said, thanks for what you did for Uli. And thanks for what you did for Johan. Because they were coming to dinner parties for years. What do you work at? I'm a doctor. What do you, uh, I'm a, an engineer doing rocket science or whatever. <laughs> what do you do? I'll make brown boxes. <laughs> and then, and then after Open the Future, with all the, the data showing the sustainability and packaging the world and cleaning up Europe, he, there was like, there was a pride. pride. In, this is what pride. we do. This pride. is what we do. And we're the best at it, right? And we're driving plastic substitution. And so unlocking that, that, um, up close and intimate sort of impact of what you're doing in business to business can be very rewarding. And then the fact you see, you own the results more. It's right. your, it's your team. It's not your team. You're in a team of people and collectively you are reframing what you do and everything you do along this new positioning and you're winning or losing based on it. So right. it's a much yeah. more immediate sense of the impact of marketing than if you are um, putting something into the mass market. You still see the results, but it's, it's more visceral when you're in business to business. And because there's so few doing it compared to B2C, the rewards are excellent. Right. It's like the, it's like, it's like the big opportunity, you know? Um, and, you know, maybe more and more marketeers will realize that over the years, you know? Yeah, yeah, because it's seen, I think, you know, largely as, you know, uh, a discipline of lead generation, demand gen, and, you know, email, right? Like that's kind of a yeah. perception of it. Yeah, and, and if that happens, you've got lead gen and that comes in and, and, and you have an interaction with the sales force. But well, if they haven't changed their perspective and why they're different, if the innovation team hasn't uh, adapted its innovation strategy to come up with ideas that are totally on insight, um, if your HR department aren't promoting a wider understanding of success, then, then you're not, you're not, go back to, back to the CEO's objective. You're not creating success. You're just, right. you're just making a silo more efficient. Right. Okay. And I've not, I've not, you know, I just know I've, that's not of interest to me, you know? Um, yeah. Um, and that's why when you, when you, as you go through it, eventually it's a great, it's a great um, training ground to, you know, lead things in your career in the future because you're actually looking at everything. Um, yeah. Which is also exciting, you know? Yeah, it, it's a great way of, yeah, I think reframing it and rethinking about it. And, and actually, I think getting marketers exciting or excited about the opportunity, because most marketers are thinking, like, you know, if they have a path, um, this is how I think it should go. And I, you know, ultimately want to be, you know, maybe head of marketing, CMO, commercial brand, you know, or, you know, B2C brand. And that that's the... That's the highlight. And that's great. I'm not taking away from that. That that is great. But I do think we need more brilliant marketers in in B2B. Like we do, because it's gonna it, it will enhance the, you know, that as a as a real career path. Like nobody in college probably talks about it. Yeah. But like it, it would shock you to understand that the level of creativity I experience in B2B is so far ahead of B2C. Wow. But think about it. In B2C, you can create really creative communications. Yeah. But you, you rarely change the company. Yeah. Not that you, you rarely, you, the company rarely it, it takes on the strategies and makes fundamental changes based on it. But in B2B, that can happen. That it, the, the, the impacts like value selling coming in from the sales team, that's huge. In Smurfit, we had a really, really, uh, our head of innovation had two PhDs. And when we had developed our open the future strategy, like talk about burn the bridge, burn the boats, him and his team built an innovation center in Shipol Airport. Think about that for a second in Shipol Airport, right? Okay. So, so easy to get into, easy to get out, but it meant it was such a public expression of open the future 
uh, th- that took, you know, the decision of the senior management team to sign that off. That was a big thing. Yeah. And, and then from there, each, each country built its own innovation center. And from there, each factory eventually built their own innovation room. So suddenly you had this interconnected, uh, intelligent sort of ecosystem. Um, and all of that was driving open the future. And then you bring in better planet packaging. And that drives a whole nother level of, of innovation, uh, backed up with amazing HR strategies that unlock the talent that maybe weren't been unlocked heretofore. Yeah. That sort of creativity that takes, that takes creativity beyond let's make a good ad. Uh, yes. Ad direction, don't get me wrong. I love yes. making We'll talk ads, about but, them in a sec. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, I would, I would say like a big fan of Ritson, um, you know, now, as well as the transformation piece that I'm passionate about, if if I find that a company needs to have or has the confidence to take and implement a, a proper end-to-end brand system, you know, that's because I I'm really believe an end-to-end brand system is so important to manage your reputation and your commercial objectives simultaneously. And... um and after spending two years with TBV Global, I mean, it's so, I can't stress enough the benefits of a company having a system and being able to align behind it. Right. As opposed to a hodgepodge of different things, different members of the team have picked up in different places. That doesn't really, yeah. that, it's not effective or efficient. But um, anyway. Probably having, a, you know, I guess an understanding of, the principles behind this that system as well would you know is important as well and i think that's another piece probably for me anyway is is people and, and marketers reading enough to understand you know the historical context of how we've landed to where we are in terms of marketing and then what's what's driving that system so it all kind of makes sense so there's kind of that i guess continuous education piece for marketers as well totally i mean i'm lucky to have been a colleague of Paul Durvin's and he has every, every six months there's a book in the post. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he just, he just let me know, listen, catch up, catch up buddy. Yeah. You know? And, uh, but you know, like there's some books that people should read. There's one from, uh, you, you, I'd say, you know, what it's from, um, uh, Bloom, um, called Lemon. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Just, just must read like a must read. You know, we all know about Bennett and Field must read. Uh, Vervecki or um, uh, Romanak, I think. Romanak, yeah, Jenny yeah. Romanak, yeah. Yeah, and then there's um, how brands grow. The thing about how brands grow, by the way, is we have a different view in our company. We have to get away from this binary thing. This binary thing of, you know, people, some people, and I, I don't mean negative, but like people come up with things like TV's dead. <laughs> no, yes. it's not. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or they come up with things like it's all about the creative ad, not about the onion. No, professional trained marketeers know how that brand positioning framework is really important to manage yeah. consistency and brilliant creative. It's, it's both. Yeah. Right. So Sharp and his whole team have given us all a great service by identifying the double jeopardy and identifying how you grow brand. Yeah. But some people then misunderstand that and say, well, there's no room for targeting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course there's room for targeting. As my yeah. buddy Andy says, even if you're going after new customers, who is it? Is it Connor? Or is it Damien? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to target thing, and targeting is a really important skill. So it's, I, I'm very, uh, I, I, when somebody is binary at the moment, I go, hold on a second. Yes, yes. Not the truth. You know, the yeah. truth is, it's a blend. It, and knowing it, how to mix it together is the, is, is the skill. Yes, I, I would completely agree. And it's, and I think it's about, and again, Dervin would, would say it often, you know, it's the, you know, strong beliefs lightly held, you know, I think that's yeah. a great principle because you're like, I, you know, I be, I'm, I'm believing this, but I am open to this new thing that might change my perspective. And I think that's a wonderful way of, of thinking about it. Cause you have to, have, you have to have principles and beliefs, but actually you have to be open. If the minute you're not open, then you, you know, yeah. I think you're done for. I, I was having a call yesterday with my colleagues in the States and I said, um, we're solving a problem. And I said, here's a solution. And stim- both Two people came in with different views, and I just took notes and I went, "You're, you're dead right on all three counts. They're just better, and it just it just it just saves time. Yes, you no, know? it just saves time, and and it also means that that then the the, the conversation is much more one plus one equals three. Um, um, so yeah, 
Sometimes yeah. I don't. Sometimes I'm not as I'm not as good at that. I can, <laughs> you know. I, I, sometimes I actually turn off when if I watch rugby matches, I can turn off and become absolutely myopic, single-minded, <laughs> and totally biased beyond belief. You know, I need to vent that now and again and let out yeah, my inner exactly. child. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we all need that. We all need it. Well, listen, we did touch on on ads and uh, you, you've been involved in some incredible and iconic ads um, in the Irish market. Some, some that still, still run to this very day. I'd love you to uh, talk me through some of those. And, and I think people might be aware of the, the Christmas ad and, and ads like Quarrel that, that you were involved with and both for Guinness. Yeah. Um, I, I was lucky to get a job working for Mark Odie on Guinness, who who was a real like he understood his onions when it came to marketing, and uh, and uh, it was a brilliant team, a brilliant team. Niall Tracy, Mark Odie, uh, Johnny Cowles was on the team, and we really learned our dweeb. And uh, I had a Tommy Kinsella was head of. Uh, advertising, so he was the guy that managed the advertising through the system, and then Sheila Cunningham, April Redmond, from in, in, in now in uh, Unilever, Sheila Cunningham, and then we had Mal Stevenson and Pat and Mark from Irish International. I mean, right. top, top, yeah, yeah. and Sean Whitaker, God rest him, was was like this genius planner. Um, and we did Quarrel, which I thought was a really good ad, but I was that was my first ad. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I was learning on the job, right? Right, and it was a brilliant idea, and. Uh, we re relaunched the uh, beautiful song by a young Irish Mick, musician who never Mick, passed away, Nick, Nick Christopher. Nick, Nick Christopher, yeah, it was yeah. a beautiful song, stunning. We asked yeah. the family before, and it was okay, and it's just a beautiful song. Anyway, Fastbender was on it, and this is before he was famous, and we were uh, so we did it in Ireland, and we were over to the states, and we're doing it in the states. There's always a bit of crack. New York, in like in New York, they have a police department just for making films, you know. And I in New York, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to promote the city, it's a really strategic yeah, yeah. decision. Brilliant. But in New York, like <laughs> at one point, we were doing a shot, and a guy would walk up and go, and he'd look around the set and go, "You're only small time," <laughs> because they just have such a standard, right? It's like, what are you doing in our city, using it as a backdrop? But this, anyway, we're making the movie, and uh, uh, it was all good. We're down the docks because Michael Fassbender had to go in and swim a bit, and. Uh, but then between takes, there's a lot of time standing around. And um, I, I think it, I want to do a play when I'm older on the reality the, and the politics of it. I'd say, <laughs> it's, it's dynamite. You know what I mean? Yeah. If Tommy Tierney got his hands on it, it's <laughs> unbelievable. But uh, so Fassbender is one of those guys that met Matt Damon. You know, all the girls like him and all the boys want to hang out with him. Yeah, he's, yeah. Cool, he's one of the coolest guys you could ever meet. Sound and down to earth, deadly. And we're having a chat and he's from Kerry and we're talking about Munster Rugby and we're talking away. And then he asked me about rugby. And so and we ended up, he asked me, how, well, how do you scrummage? So I said, come here, I'll show you. So we were around the back of the, the, the warehouse scrummaging and we were both competitive. So we ended up <laughs> going for it a little bit and his take was up. We didn't hear it. And then we looked up and there was a whole American set looking at us in horror. <laughs> Here's the client having a scrum with the talent <laughs> and uh, a bit of naivety, a bit of crack. We just laughed yeah. it off, but it was, uh, but he, it was, it was, that went on to be a good ad. And then we made Pat's Bar as a good ad. And then we had another one uh, in uh, Southeast Asia, which was a good ad. So we were giving three right hand, bo- top right hand boxes, which right. meant that the company were trusting us. Yeah. And um, one day Mark Ori says, uh, what's, what, what's left? And I said, all is left is Christmas with no ad and we're leaving it to Coca-Cola. And he said, well, have a think about that. So I went away and talked to IOA, came back with the script and that became, like normally in, in, in Diageo, you'd write back within 24 hours a detailed response to the brief. Right. Very, very detailed in a structured way. And we came back and went, uh, this is perfect. Don't touch it. Like it was perfect. Wow. And we then went on to uh, try and animate, uh, you know, Put it through research, and we said, actually, no research. We want to. We need a million euro, and we're not going to do any of the three, st- two, three of. Sorry, there's three stages of research, and we won't do two because it won't get past two. And in fairness, Mark Audie and then Paul Kelly agreed to that. Wow! And then they got Charles Coles to agree to that to say well, these guys are making. That was a big call, and sort of here's the money that we haven't budgeted. We're not going to do stage two and stage three because it won't get passed. But the guys believe in it, and. The result then, and and we knew we had a good ad, but when we knew we had something special was 
we decided not to do the Norma Guinness thing, which is to take an old song and, and, and rejuvenate it. We decided to get our own score. We went over yeah. to London, yeah. rainy day, alleyway, someplace in Fulham, walked in, the boys played the score, and I looked at Mal Stevenson, it was like, this, this is going to be, it's, it's the music, it's the, it's the hero of that. Well, one of yeah. the yeah. Anyway. Well, exactly. One of the, and it's an iconic, iconic ad. I think my the most successful work I've done in Guinness was working in the kitchens during a work <laughs> placement, uh, <laughs> serving yeah, yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. food. So that's that's <laughs> I think about that Christmas <laughs> ad though. I, I had a role as the, the marketing, the, the advertising manager. But the point was that was Mal Stevens and Tommy Kinsella, Sheila Cunningham, Mark Odie. Like that was a team. That was yeah. a team. Uh, and the, the, there's no such thing as I in marketing. Yeah. Like there's none. It's yeah. always we. It is because you have to ask, ask the question, well, what did you do? Exactly. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. we. It was right? we did it. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're coming to, to the end of our time. Uh, I could keep talking uh, for much longer, but I guess, for, and we touched on it a bit before, but for people in a marketing career, what, what are some of the advice would you give somebody? It's not, it could be somebody starting out or, or someone like me trying to figure it out. What, what advice would you give them? I would say get, get taught on the fundamentals. Um, they don't change really. The fundamentals, targeting, positioning, creative management, consumer strategy, clarity on consumer strategies, only six ways to grow a brand, understand them and build them out. Uh, so, so get to know your craft and, and, and be proud of it. Yeah. You know, so many people are going, I'm in marketing, I want to move to something else. Be proud of it. Get good at it. The second thing is, in my view, stretch the elastic. Make, right. it's not a risk, but push for unprecedented or not, pre, that might sounds too grandiose, push for real change and growth that is better than before. Take that, take that extra uh, uh, growth strategy. That's the important thing because that's, that's what differentiates somebody's career. If yeah. you take a risk by bringing in something new based on good thinking, but you push it. Um, no, you know, if you're going to be a gardener, be a gardener, but be a good gardener. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, they're the two things I do and then treat people well along the way because it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a small world and you know, you get what you, you get what, how you treat people. So. Yes. Yeah. Agree. Brilliant. I love that stretch the elastic. Um, my last one then is I, I'm going to try this out and see if it works. Um, I don't know who my next guest is going to be. What question should I ask them? I think from a marketing perspective, and it's something that I'm very interested in, Ireland is, is an incredible country. Anybody who doesn't think so should read uh, In Fact by Mark Henry. Just read through that. He launched it last year. Um, but we're a small little country and, and we're brilliant and we've got an amazing education system. But globalization is maybe uh, stalling or it might go backwards. What happens to Ireland if it does? Right. And how do we, how do we position Ireland for the next 30 years? Really? Because we're very, very adaptable. Um, we, we, we've an, an amazing world-class ability to think around corners. And we have some particular skills that are, we, we're better at some things than, than most people. We've got all our challenges. What, how does Ireland position itself like Finland decided we're going to be number one in education and number one in water and everything to do with it. Um, um, and I think that's a, that's a, that's, that's a question that needs to be answered. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I will put that to my, my next guest, whoever that may be. Uh, yeah. Damien, thanks so much for your time. I think, you know, one of the things it's clear, like marketing is a, like, it's a great career. Like we have yeah. an amazing job and yes, look, there's, there's bits that can be tough and frustrating and it's not all about, you know, as you say, the ad, like they're great, but they're not all about that. And, but, but just talking to you, like, it's just, you know, it's invigorating and, and it just Thanks. reminds me of how, how great this job is. Yeah. Uh, the canvas just gets, get, gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> they keep working hard, you know what I mean? And stay healthy. So uh, pleasure sp speaking to you, Connor. Thanks a million. Brilliant, Damien. Thanks a million. During this podcast, Damien talked about the shadow of a leader being long and deep. And I'm left feeling that Damien has a strong, positive shadow. I've honestly never heard someone talk about marketing in the way that he does. As he said, I don't worry about the colouring in department. He's just so past that. He has stretched what he and his teams can do 
and thinks about marketing as transforming businesses. I hope listening to Damien has been as inspiring for you as it was for me getting to speak to him. I'll be honest, since recording this, I've tried to take and apply some of Damien's thinking to my conversation in work. But let's be fair, it's probably Damien Light. I'm doing my best. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share, add comments with your feedback and follow us on Twitter at that's underscore marketing. And if you or someone you know would be a great guest for the podcast, get in touch. I'll add the email address in the show description. For me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, take care.